Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey, everyone. Before we get into tonight's stories, I just wanted to let you know that if you want to get stories um, a day, maybe two days in advance, you can... Uh, become a member of the channel or become a patron either way you're supporting me and you're getting content a day or two days in advance also i would like to point you towards the graveyard shift with mr davis basically it's what i do over here it's just the stories from the channel but it's only audio so if you listen to me to fall asleep i highly suggest using anchor or Spotify, or iTunes, Apple Podcasts, wherever you can find your podcast, you can find The Graveyard Shift with Mr. Davis. It's all audio, so you don't have to run up your data, or keep your phone on all night and run your battery low. It's really, really awesome, and it's another great way to support the channel. So if any of those things sound interesting to you, they will be in the description below. Check them out, support the channel. Thanks a ton, everyone. Let's get into tonight's stories, because they are doozies. I'd work through the evening without so much as a glance at the clock. My home office, once cluttered from the move, had finally taken on the texture of a real working space. The comfort and focus made it easy to buckle down and work the daylight away without distraction. This was maybe the third twilight I'd managed to completely miss. From my protective nook of lamplight, embedded in the darkness like a dim gem on black, I scanned the room with my eyes, and the house with my ears. My new house, although open and relaxing under the sun, seemed to take on a tone of sinister silence once shrouded in the fathomless darkness unique to starless skies. I hated the constant cloudy weather, used to the city glow and concrete warm clear skies as I was, and I hated having to creep into the impenetrable blackness to turn on the lights. Twice before, I'd worked through sunset oblivious. Twice before, I'd endured this ritual, heart-pounding, hands blindly feeling across as yet unfamiliar walls. This third time, I hesitated. I sat and listened to the silence echoing through unseen rooms, wishing the house had constant rumbling breath like that of the apartment building I moved from. The rickety old central air system had been an annoyance at the time, but I'd have much preferred it to the countryside's insufferable stillness. As I balanced on the edge of my seat, straining the limits of my hearing, the unrelenting abnets of stimulation actually approached painful. And that was when my cell phone rang, scaring the shit out of me. 
Laughing with relief, face surely burning red, I picked it up from the table. I'd been silly, stupid, even. I'd filled myself with fear because I'd wanted to be afraid. An indulgence of childhood long past. Shaking my head, I reminded myself that there was nothing to fear, a fact which I still found disappointing. Sometimes, and recently more than ever, I wished there really was something supernatural. Anything supernatural. Hello? My ear registered a few random noises that I took to be the caller preparing to answer. I waited, but no words came. Hello? The same purposeless sounds continued. Confused, I looked at my phone. The number was unfamiliar. Still, I waited, intent on giving the caller a moment to realize they'd called somebody. I'd had a coworker once whose phone accidentally reprompted the last dialed call, and I was not looking forward to repeated interruptions. The good old butt dial, I said loudly, hoping the caller would suddenly have spoken words emanating from their pants. Maybe I was embarrassing someone on a blind date. That would be great. Hello? Nothing but spotty, scratching noises. I hung up. Placing the phone back on the desk, I swiveled in my chair, facing the task at hand again. The light from my little sphere of lamplight quickly turned into gloom as it traveled across the carpet, fading to sheer black by the time it reached the hallway. I allowed myself the brief, inexplicable notion that someone could, given the right position, be standing there in the darkness watching me. I would have no idea. I jumped as the phone rang again. Christ. I picked it up and calmed my racing heart with self-directed sarcasm. You cannot be serious. Come on, it's just a misdial. My voice nearly reached the level of a shout this time. Hello? Hello? The sounds were a little different this time. More like a constant pattern of subtle crunches punctuated by the sound of fabric moving right against the other phone. It occurred to me that the caller might be walking somewhere on the season's freshly fallen leaves. Yeah, that was the noise. I knew now. The noises paused, and muffled speech filtered through. The unidentifiable words were directed, so the caller was with someone. The same voice spoke again, there was a pause, and then the sound of fabric moving again and a grunt of exertion. The circle of darkness around me suddenly plunged shut with a nearly physical sensation of force. Stunned, I listened to the subtle whir of my computer die down into silence, leaving me with nothing but the startlingly loud sound of my own terrified breathing. It wasn't hard to make the leap. I just heard someone cut the power to my house. My mind raced with possibilities as I sat there in total darkness, struggling to quiet my breathing. I felt as if the unknown enemy could hear the air rasping in my throat even now. 
Keeping the phone to my ear, I used my free hand to feel my way across the carpet, heading for the window behind where I normally sat. I reached the wall even as I realized my mistake. Wait, no, not that one. The window facing the utilities box in the backyard would be... in the room at the other end of the hall. Muttered words drifted through the phone, followed by the unmistakable sound of plastic wires scraping against old metal. Wherever they were, they were still at the box, tinkering around, ensuring my home security system was off. I stared up at the place where I thought my desk might be. I'd been just about to get up and turn on all the lights in the house, and if I had, they'd have known I was home. Did they believe me to be absent? Did they even care? If they found me mid-robbery... Stealing in my trembling insides, I felt my way across the carpet, heading for the cooler air from the hallway. I could still feel that potential invisible watcher standing just beyond the door, eyes following my every flailing move in the back. I reached the point where a foot might have been. I slid my hand out. Nothing. Just carpet. Shaking my hand and struggling to contain my terror at threats both real and imagined, I crawled down the hallway, eyes burning. I couldn't blink. couldn't close my eyes even for a second despite seeing nothing. I was too afraid I'd miss a split-second errant flashlight or some other detail that would confirm that there really were assailants preparing to enter my house. I was desperate to hurry. But I didn't dare make a sound. I reached the end of the hallway after what felt like an eternity, still listening to muttering and the sound of tinkering. It was only when I crawled past the doorframe, angled wood under my fingers, that I heard the first recognizable words against my now sweaty ear. It's good. It's off? Another voice asked. The first replied with an affirmative tone. Crawling up the wall as fast as I dared, I felt around for the window's frame. There. I slid up heavy curtains against the back of my head and peered out. Straining my open eyes made no difference. All I could see was the extremely faint glow of my cell phone, barely visible against the panes as I pressed my forehead against the glass. More audible words came. What's that? I ducked, my nerves screaming. Idiot. Had they seen the faint light on my phone? Just thought I saw something. Keeping my phone down near my chest, I peered back over. The window was still as good as useless, no matter how hard I stared into... There. The tiniest peripheral motion, a blur, a blip of pale blue, a cell phone light through jeans fabric. Somewhere downstairs, a doorknob jiggled. The noise was ever so slight. I'd have never given it a second thought if I'd heard it in any other situation. I slumped. Frozen against the wall in terror, I ran through all the objects in the house I might use as a weapon. I ran through all the scenarios I'd seen in movies. 
guessed at my best options for defending myself until the calm voice spoke in my thoughts. Idiot. Call the police. I'd never called the police before. I never even considered it. With the phone pressed against my ear, full of terror, I hadn't even... I quickly hung up and dialed 911. The conversation was somewhat of a blur for me. I remember repeating more than was necessary that they were already in my house. Multiple men. No, I live alone. They cut the power. Cut the security system. Please come now. Please come now. A creak sounded from the stairs. Surging with adrenaline, I hung up the phone and clicked it dark. Another creak emanated from the same place. Part of me twisted up terribly, preparing for imminent violence. Two, then, were upstairs. Were there more downstairs? I couldn't hear anything. A hushed whisper reached my ears, coming from somewhere in the hallway. Right outside the door of the room I cowered in. Ten seconds passed. Thirty. A minute. Two minutes at least. And then five. Staring into the void, I hovered at the edge of sheer panic for an eternity. What the hell were they doing? Were they just standing there in the hallway or were they searching the rooms, not making any noise? I had the terrible premonition that if I made a single sound, no matter how slight, they would suddenly rush me for some unexpected direction with violent and mindless glee. I almost didn't register it at first. Not the moment it happened. I felt a vibration in my clenched hand, but I couldn't quite fathom it immediately. Between my desperate fingers, the phone rang loudly, practically screaming, filling the house with abrupt noise. It was the same number, misdialing me a third time, signing my death warrant. The fuck was that? A threatening voice asked, two rooms down. I dropped the phone, leaving it to ring on the carpet, and bolted away from the window. Face up, the phone's dim light peeled back just enough of the darkness to fill the room with imminent danger. But with no closet and no furniture, I had nowhere to go. The unopened moving boxes filling the room offered no safety. More than one set of footsteps rushed down the hall, the heavy falls filled with violent urgency. It's just a phone, one said a few feet away from me. Yeah? An angry voice asked. What's it doing on the floor here? Who knows, maybe he's lazy. I watched his routine for weeks. He ain't home. A deadly click sounded and I stopped breathing. A flashlight beam swept across the room, blinding me. I kept my eyes open, unwilling to close them for fear of the two men hearing my eyelids slam shut. Finally, the phone stopped ringing, going dark with an abrupt wave of silence. Right, the angry one said after a moment. Computer's up here somewhere. We'll get that television downstairs next. The two men walked back into the hall, moving within an inch of me for the second time. 
Taking a cue from the invisible watcher I'd imagined outside my office door, I bolted for the hallway itself, not to run down the stairs, which would have creaked and given me away, not down the hall where I would have run into the two men, no. I'd slid right up against the wall right outside the door, hidden in the angling curtain of blackness afforded by the flashlight's roving beam. As they entered and exited the room, curving around me, they literally brushed past, clothing touching clothing, but whichever one it had been, he hadn't noticed. I could still smell sweat and cigarettes. The foul odor lingered in front of my face. Without so much as moving my head, I strained my eyes to watch the silhouettes and flashlight beam move down the hall. My will to stay motionless gave out, and I slid back into the room as best I could just as the beam swept back down the hall. An idle glance back that might have gotten me killed had they done it a moment earlier. There was nothing left to do but wait. Eternity. Infinity. Endless raging fear and torment. It drained me until I was nothing but a shell, listening to my house being ransacked, no longer even energetic enough to fear being discovered. I was alone, drained, and at my wit's end. Death might have almost been a welcome relief. Twenty minutes, they told me later. It was only twenty minutes. The utility repairman was kind enough to come the next day. Once he fixed the box in the yard, I kept everything fully lit, attempting to work despite boundless nervousness and twitch reactions to every little sound in the house. Every so often, I tried to smooth out a new scuff on my nearly stolen computer monitor. Never worked. But it felt vaguely therapeutic. The phone rang again, just about twilight. I stared at it in muted horror, my entire body filled with the animal urge to flee, but simultaneously paralyzed by a prior night's trauma. Somewhere between those two urges, compromise led me to answer the new number. Hey, just calling to check up on you. A calming, familiar voice greeted me. I'd gone down to the station with the officers filling out a statement. The policemen had laughed at first, hearing the tale of my misdials, but they respectfully grew quiet when they realized that I was serious. Thanks, I replied, calming down. A creak sounded on the stairs. I jumped, then shook my head. Yeah, not every day something like this happens around here, Sergeant said. You're new to town, I know. I just don't want you worried this will ever happen again. Oh, I'm not afraid. I lied. Thanks for your concern. Yep. Oh, by the way, we figured out how you had your number. He had a part-time with the movers you used. Probably used the job to scope out folks to rob, and you, that big house living alone, probably seemed like an easy target. The first voice on the misdial. The memory finally clicked into place. I blinked, feeling strangely violated by the realization. That man... He'd answered when I called the moving company, seeking their services. He'd been in my house, cataloging my possessions, eyeing them for later theft. Yep, the sergeant said again, and I heard him lean back in his creaky leather chair. 
Just be happy that you had that lucky call. Damnest thing I've ever heard. Someone's looking out for you. These same guys killed a farmer out your way two, three months ago. Went to rob, but the guy was home. Now I know it was them. They're going away for sure. My blood ran cold. Thanks, Sergeant. That makes me feel better. I lied. Why the hell did he have to tell me that? Sure, gotta get back to work. Now you take care. I hung up the phone with a shiver. My eyes traveled to that spot outside my office door where the angled lamplight still carved that sheer black pane similar to the one that had hidden me from a roving flashlight and saved my life. I had the strangest notion again that someone was standing there in the pitch unseen watching me. The sensation of presence of being watched grew thicker, anticipatory, almost tangible as if the invisible observer might suddenly step forward out of the darkness and into reality. Thanks, I blurted. A single word, a sincere message spoken before I even realized I was thinking it. The feeling vanished. Tilting the lamp, I angled the dark curtain back, but there was no one there. Motivated by my questioning emotion without verbal thought, I walked down the hall to the room overlooking the backyard. I moved through the darkness, unafraid. My target already memorized, despite my best attempts at forgetting. Near the window where I'd peered out and seen the men breaking in, I opened a box I'd left sealed for far too long. The object in question was at the top brought it back to my office and set it up on the desk. Her picture, facing me. Her face was as bright and cheery as ever, her life still vibrant in frozen sunlight. I smiled for the first time in several weeks. Living alone? <laughs> Maybe not so much. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I didn't notice the blood when the woman got into the back seat of my car. Thanks for the pickup. I glanced back in my rearview mirror. We were still under the bright lights of the hospital's front entrance, but the reflected glow still only gave me a vague idea of the woman sitting behind me. In her early forties, pretty, with intense eyes that met mine in the reflection as I spoke. Sure thing. You didn't say on the app where you wanted to go. Just tell me the address if you can, and I'll put it into the GPS. She nodded and looked out the window. Um, I'm still trying to decide, I guess. Can you just drive for now? I've only used a rideshare a couple of times, but you can do that, right? 
just drive around and charge me for the distance or time or whatever. I hit the button on my app for roaming tolls before putting the car in drive. Yeah, sure. It'll use my phone's GPS to keep track of how far we go, and it will ding every 25 bucks, so you can just keep track, okay? When I checked the mirror, the woman was still looking outside, and in a passing beam of light, I saw how worried she looked. My general rule was that I didn't talk much unless the writer wanted to, but given her expression and the fact that I just picked her up from a hospital, I felt like I should at least open the door to chatting if she wanted. I'm Marvin, by the way. It's good to meet you. She glanced my way with a ghost of a smile before looking back out into the passing night. Carolyn, it's good to meet you too. So were you visiting someone at the hospital? I told myself that would be my last question, my last attempt to pry or be supportive of some stranger without a sign from her that she wanted to talk. A pause, and then, yeah, a friend of mine. My best friend when I was a kid. Oh, well, I hope they're doing okay. Well, um, she died tonight. I felt my stomach lurch. Why had I even opened this can of worms? What was I going to do or say that could make this lady feel better? Nothing. And now I was just caught in it. And I should just stay quiet, but I could already hear myself saying, Oh no. Well, I'm sorry to hear that, I guess. I, I guess it's a good thing that you got a chance to be there and say goodbye. If that was even true. What if she died before she got there, or she never went in to see her? All I was doing was making this woman talk about something painful for no reason. I was pulled out of my thoughts by a short, harsh laugh from the back seat. <laughs> yeah, I had to say goodbye, alright. Goodbye and hello, I guess. I just nodded, forcing myself to stay quiet. Maybe if I didn't ask any more questions, we could just ride in silence the rest of the way to wherever we were going. As it was, I was just driving around aimlessly, taking routes I was familiar with that had light traffic this time of night. If she didn't pick a place by the time we reached the end of the circuits, I'd asked again if she wanted to go somewhere particular or just keep riding. I didn't mind driving her all night, but I didn't really want to. Did you play games a lot as a kid? Not video games like people do now, but real games where you run around and play? I glanced up and nodded. Sure, didn't everybody? Carolyn shrugged. Maybe most did, but I was an only child. And until I was eight, we didn't live near any other children. When Penny and her family moved down the road, we became friends fast. Her and her brother, Jonah, were always at my house, or me over at theirs, and the big stretch of woods between the two of us was our playground. I laughed. <laughs> yeah, me and my brother used to play war in the woods behind our old school. There were like five or six of us most at the time. It was a wonder we never got snake bit. Her voice was thoughtful and distant as she responded. 
Yeah, we played that once or twice, but we spent more time playing hide-and-seek or building bases, pretending we were explorers and adventurers. The woods were probably only about a hundred acres of land, but we made the most of it. We knew every inch and felt at home there, you know? Sure, yeah. And then her cousin Elizabeth came and everything changed. Elizabeth was a small, shy girl. Four years younger than Jonah and two years younger than me and Penny, who were ten. She reminded me of, well, me. She was quiet, lonely, excited, and terrified at the prospect of new friends. But we weren't mean kids. Even Jonah, who was almost a teenager and could have thought himself above playing with his younger sister and her friend, was always sweet and patient and fun to be around. When Elizabeth came, we immediately included her in everything we did. She was only going to be visiting for a month while her mother had some kind of medical procedure, but we were going to make sure she had a good time while she was there. At first, that just meant letting her tag along and including her in our games. As she warmed up to us, she clearly felt more comfortable and would talk more, but she never lost a certain strangeness. She would sometimes stare off into space, and more than once we lost track of her in the woods and spent a panicked few minutes trying to find her before she'd pop up from behind a tree or a clump of bushes. It was frustrating and a bit odd, mainly because overall she seemed very smart and mature for her age, and sometimes, well, sometimes, she had a little smirk on her face when she didn't think I was looking. Like she was in on a joke we weren't or something. It had a sneaky look that I didn't like. Still, overall, she was cool, you know? And even when she was being weird, she fit in well enough. She went where we wanted to go and played what we wanted to play. So when she asked if she could pick the game, we said yes. The game didn't have a name. Or if it did, she never told us what it was. And after the first time we played it, we just called it the game, as it was the only thing we played until, well, until everything was over. It started with drawing a circle in the dirt. Everyone did it. You stood away from each other and took a stick to draw a circle around yourself. Then you take your rock. Elizabeth was always very clear at this point. You always started with a stick in your right hand held up to the sky and a rock in your left hand down by your side. When Jonah did it wrong the first time, well, it was one of the first few times I ever saw their cousin get really mad. Anyway, you draw your circle and then close your eyes. She said you could spin around with your eyes closed if you wanted to, but you didn't have to, and you had to be careful if you did that, you didn't leave your circle. Spin or not, when everyone was ready, you tossed your rocks and opened your eyes. The idea was that whoever had one of their rocks closest to their circle became the hunter, and the rest were the hunted. At first, it just sounded like a more elaborate way of playing tag or hide-and-seek, but when Penny said something like that, Elizabeth shook her head. 
She said that there was more to it than that. But we'd have to wait and see. That... That first time Jonah had a rock at the edge of his circle, so he was the hunter. When he asked Elizabeth what he was supposed to do, she told him to walk into the woods until he had counted slow to 200. After that, he could start his hunt. Looking back, even then, it didn't make sense how we reacted to any of this. I remember watching Jonah walk off into the woods, and I didn't feel bored or think it was silly. I was excited. No, I wasn't just excited. I was scared. I was scared of what might happen if he caught me. I tried to smooth away my frown as I looked back at Carolyn. Man, sounds like an intense kid's game, I guess. I let out a weak laugh. We usually just threw rocks at each other. She nodded. Yeah, right? It was weird. This little eight-year-old girl had this elaborate game, and we were not only listening to her, but we were into it. The three of us scattered into the trees, and after finding one of my favorite hiding spots, I hunkered down to wait. The woods. I remember how still everything was. Normally you'd hear birds and bugs, branches falling or being moved by deer or whatever else lived out there, but there was none of that now. Just perfect silence, like everything was frozen or dead. And that's when I heard the voice call out. It seemed far away, and while the words were clear, I couldn't tell who had said them. Maybe it was Jonah? I don't know. I just know it didn't sound like him, and the suddenness of it made me shiver as I fought not to yell or run. Bring out the long knives! I could feel my heart pounding in my chest as I sat huddled in the hollowed-out tree. The same tree I'd used to evade discovery and capture in numerous pretend games before. Penny and Jonah didn't know this hiding spot, and neither should Elizabeth, which made it hard not to let out a scream when I heard whispered voice from close by. He's coming this way. I hope he doesn't find you. She ran off with a giggle, moving out of my narrow field of vision inside the tree and somewhere further to my left. I was about to shift to try and see her again when movement to the right caught my eye. It was Jonah, but something was wrong. He wasn't smiling or laughing like he usually would be while playing a game. Even when he was focused, his darkest look was usually one of stern concentration. But now, he looked cold and hard as he raked his eyes across the path in front of him stalking forward a few steps before pausing to look and listen for a second and then prowling again. Still as jarring as how he looked and moved was, it really wasn't the main thing I focused on. It was the sticks in his hand. He had two long, thick sticks held upright and rigid with grips so tight that even at a distance... 
I could see the muscles standing out in his arms. We rarely ever used sticks or stones in our games except as building tools, and these were clearly being held as some kind of weapons. Jonah stopped again and looked in the direction of the tree I was in. My heart stopped as I froze in place, wishing I'd stayed further back, praying to somehow become invisible. This wasn't the normal fear of losing a child's game. It was... It was terror. And I realized how scared I really was. A strange thought slipped into my head like a stranger's sigh. Those aren't sticks. Those are his long knives. I shuddered then, but he had already turned away, his attention now focused on something outside my view. Shifting quietly, I watched as he moved forward, his whole body tensed now, like a snake ready to strike. He was about to move out of my vision again when Elizabeth let out a scream and ran back into my direction. Maybe she was just running away, or maybe she was going to lead him to me, but either way, he didn't give her a chance to get far. He struck her once across the back, and she fell down, and then he used the second stick to dig into her back, even as I started crawling from my hiding spot and yelling for him to stop. He didn't look up until I was close by. And even then, there was a long moment when I was afraid. Afraid of how strange he seemed. Even afraid he might turn his sticks on me. But then his face cleared and he dropped his weapons. Penny was already running up by this point. Her face red with anger. What the hell, Jonah? Did you knock her down? Frowning at him, I stepped over and offered a hand to Elizabeth. She took it and got to her feet quietly as I looked past him to the sister. He was using sticks. He hit her with them. Jonah flushed with embarrassment. I... I wasn't trying to hurt her. I I thought that's how the game was supposed to be played. Penny was next to him now, jabbing him in the ribs. We didn't say that. Elizabeth didn't say that. You just wanted to be a mean shithead. He backed away, shaking his head. I swear, I I didn't. It was like I just knew that was part of the rules. His eyes lit up and he remembered something. And, And when you guys yelled that about the long knives, I knew that's what it meant somehow. I found the sticks and then I started looking for you. I felt my eyes widen. I didn't yell that. It didn't sound like Penny or Elizabeth either. Jonah frowned. I mean, it didn't sound like you either, I guess, but I I swear it wasn't me. I just... He was tearing up now. I wasn't trying to hurt her. I I thought it was just part of the... It was. You played the way it was supposed to be played. We all turned back to look at Elizabeth as she regarded us calmly with a smile. I'm not hurt, guys. And he did what the hunter is supposed to do. He hunted one of us down with the long knives. Elizabeth shrugged. I yelled out the knife part. I guess he's a good guesser because he figured out the rest even though I don't remember telling you that part. She grinned. I'll do better next time. I blinked as I turned onto the freeway.
next time. You can play that shit again, I hope. When there was only silence, I glanced at Carolyn's reflection. Did you? She was rubbing her hand in the shadows of the back seat, seemingly lost in thought for a moment before answering. We did. I... It's hard to explain. I could just say it's because we were dumb, bored kids, but it was more than that. We were all scared after that first time, but it didn't stop us from coming back and doing it the next day, and then a few days after that. We all got turns as the hunter. We all had times when we got hunted down, and Elizabeth had lied. The stakes hurt plenty. I frowned in the mirror. Then why did you keep playing? Or why be so rough? I saw her dark silhouette shake her head. It was different when you were playing. It's like there was nothing but the game. And then when you were out of it, it never seemed as bad as it really was. And that was just when you were hiding. When you were the one hunting, it felt like being in a dream. You were somewhere else. Someone else. And all you waited to do was find your prey. I... I'd like to say it was scary. And it was. But it was exciting, too. It didn't take long before we were addicted to it. Playing it every day and going home hiding bruises and making excuses for how we got the scrapes and cuts our parents did see. I puffed out of breath. <sighs> Shit. Weren't you worried about really hurting each other? Maybe a little. I know I worried about it some. Not just us getting hurt, but the strangeness of it all. But it was like all of that. That worried voice inside that was really me, it was kind of muffled. And that voice didn't start really screaming until I saw Elizabeth meeting with the man in the woods. Like I said, sometimes she would disappear. And even with our new obsession with the game, we didn't play it all the time, so there were days where she would suddenly go missing for a few minutes or more. We'd gotten used to it over the last three weeks, but my unease continued to quietly grow. So did my paranoia about Elizabeth. She was the one who had taught us the game, after all, and despite her age and seemingly perfect, nice, and innocent overall, I still felt like she was the one in control. So one day, when I noticed her slip off, I followed her. She walked for a good distance before turning down into a marshy area toward the back of the woods. The trees were darker and twisted there. Swamp cypresses that didn't exist in the rest of our playground. Against the gray black of their bark, it took me a moment to even see the man standing there. He wore a long black coat that was sleek, reminding me of something between a cowboy's duster and the kind of sea coat I imagined a sailor wearing during a terrible storm. He towered over Elizabeth, inclining down a massive head topped with a crooked stovepipe hat of midnight black that glistened with something that might have been rain or dew, but looked darker and thicker, with bits of moss from the trees sticking to the wide brim. Below that brim, I could only see a small patch of gray skin. 
Between the angle I was at and the high collar of his coat, there was a little space to see the man inside, but when he crouched down next to Elizabeth, the bottom of the coat pushed back, and I was able to see dark leather boots coated in white mud or clay, black pants leading up to a brown belt with a metal buckle and straps that trailed to holsters, I guess? Or maybe when it's not a gun, it's better to call them sheaths because on both his hips, polished to a high silvery sheen with points that bit sharply into the moist earth when he crouched down and whispered to the girl, were a pair of blades. Too small to be swords, maybe, and too big to be daggers. But of course, I already knew what they were. They were his long knives. I glanced up from then to find Elizabeth looking at me, looking at me and laughing. I jumped and ran. I didn't understand any of this, but I knew it was dangerous. No more than that, it was deadly. And whatever spell I'd been under, it was at least temporarily broken. I had to get Penny and Jonah and get us out of the woods. Bring out the long knives! The sound, no doubt, came from behind me, but it seemed to err from every direction. Shaking, I kept running, screaming for my friends, yelling them to come on. We had to get out. That something was after us. When I made my way back to where we'd been hanging out, only Penny was there, looking confused and terrified. She said that Jonah had gone to the house to get us some snacks, but that had been a few minutes ago. Not wanting to waste a second, I grabbed her hand and told her to come on, that we had to get to their house. To her credit, she didn't question me, but just ran. We made it out of the woods and headed toward her house, calling for Jonah the entire time. We never saw him, and it wasn't until we'd made it up to the front porch that we heard him screaming from the woods. And he wanted to go back for him, but I made her come inside, told her I'd call somebody to get help. And that's just what I did. I called my mom, and then her dad, then the police. They all got there about the same time, and within a few minutes, half a dozen people were out in the woods looking for Jonah and Elizabeth. They found Jonah quick enough. He was... He'd been butchered. Cut to pieces. Elizabeth, they searched for hours in that small patch of woods, but it wasn't until late that night that someone found her. She was hungry and dirty, but otherwise perfectly fine. I didn't know what to say. Or how any of this could be true. Finally, I just offered. I'm so sorry. That's terrible. Did they ever find the guy? Did you ever find out what Elizabeth was doing talking to him? The bitterness in the woman's voice was palpable. <laughs> oh, no. Penny's parents were devastated by Jonah's murder, and in less than a month, they'd moved back to the West Coast. I never saw Elizabeth again. 
Oh, I did talk to her once years later. You did? How? When I was in college, I was telling my roommate about some of this. Not all of it, just a watered-down version that did make me look crazy. And it made me kind of nostalgic. No, that's a lie. It, it made me feel guilty. I could have done more to try and stay in touch with Penny, but honestly, I was terrified. Terrified of what had happened of her cousin and, by extinction, anything to do with her. So I'd never written or called her, and the couple of times she wrote me, I never responded. I puffed out a breath. <laughs> well, I mean, you were a kid, and anyone would be scared after all that. Yeah, maybe, but it was still shitty, and I still felt bad about it. So I called home, got my mother to dig up her old number, and tried calling it. I don't know if she still lived there or not, but when a young woman answered, I got excited. I asked if it was Penny I was talking to. She said it was Elizabeth. Actually, no. What she said was, no, Emily. It's Elizabeth. Penny can't come to the phone right now. I heard her sigh. I should have argued or tried calling back, but I felt that old fear again at hearing her voice, and I chickened out. A couple years later, my parents heard that Elizabeth had died, and I thought about reaching out to Penny again, but something kept me from it. The fear in my stomach wasn't dead, I guess. It was just asleep. So, jump ahead two days ago. I haven't talked about Penny to anyone in, well, probably more than 20 years when I suddenly get a call from her. She's in the hospital. Hospital you picked me up at tonight. She's there and she's never going to leave because she's dying. She's dying. She wants to see her best friend again. Before she goes. I go to say I'm sorry again, but she's still talking. Her voice louder and quicker now. I fly out here this morning and when I go to see her, she's all alone and deep asleep. I feel so bad, and she looks so worn down and old compared to the little girl I remembered. How bad had things gone for her that she needed to reach out to a childhood friend who had abandoned her? I watched her quietly for better than an hour, then, before she woke up. And when she did, the smile on her face. It was both so beautiful and so sad. We hugged and cried for a while. And it was in the midst of all that that I realized she was saying something. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I pull back, confused, and that's when I see her hand. It's freshly cut and bleeding from a razor blade she has in her other hand. Before I can react, she grabs my wrist and slashes the back of my hand, pressing her bloody wound against mine as she screams out, Bring out the long knives! I... I pulled away then, just trying to distance myself, planning on going to get help. 
Penny wasn't even looking at me, but at the corner of the room at something only she could see. When she looked back at me, she was still crying, but her eyes were full of terror. Yanking her head back, she ran the razor across her throat, fast and deep. They... They tried to save her, but she slipped away too fast. Jesus, I just slipped out before I thought. I mean, that's terrible. I'm sure they tried, but if she was already dying... Carolyn gave a laugh. <laughs> that's the thing. She wasn't. I talked to one of the nurses and wrapped my hand up. She was in for an elective. She only had to check in that morning because of her blood pressure. They wanted to monitor her for a day before putting her under anesthesia. It, it was all the trap. For me. I slowed the car to a stop at a red light. We were in the shipping district near the airport now. Just empty roads and storage warehouses for the next few blocks. I turned around to look at her. This is all... I don't understand. How is it a trap for you? I almost stopped there, but then I added, And why are you telling me all this? The woman leaned forward and met my eyes. I didn't understand it all at first either. I knew some things from what she'd written in her letters as a child. She talked about Elizabeth and the thing that was with her, how they still made her and others play the game from time to time. I think she'd had a hard childhood, and when Elizabeth died, however she died, this thing got passed on to Penny. She sniffed and sat back in the darkness. Penny was always a very good person. She tried to not give in to it. I think it's been years since it really got to play the game or even just hunt someone, but fighting all the time, I guess they just wanted out, but it won't kill you if you're the one it's bound to, and it won't let you hurt yourself. That's why she had to bind it to me before she could die. I want to feel betrayed, but I never tried to help her, and I can't imagine what a lifetime of this will be like. I frowned. But even if I believed all this stuff, how how would you know all that? Some from the letters when she was a kid, maybe, but the stuff about it not killing the one it's bound to or how long it's been since it's got to kill anybody, did she tell you all that tonight? She leaned forward again and shook her head, her eyes moving past me and out into the night. Not her. Him. I felt a chill go up my spine as I turned around and looked in the direction she was staring. There was nothing there. It was just a patch of poorly lit sidewalk and a run-down street between blocks of where... Bring out the long knives sound was a whisper, her breath curling against my ear as she said it almost like a lover's promise. 
I went to turn in her direction, but then I stopped. There was something out there now. It was murky at first, like a camera that was out of focus, but as I stared in horror, it came fully into view. A tall man in black, a shiny coat wearing a dirty, crooked top hat. I couldn't make out his face in the shadows, but I saw something glittering there. Hard, cold eyes that were boring into me as he moved long-fingered hands to his waist and he was pulling out his knives. Fuck this. I gripped the wheel and stomped on the gas, shooting forward as I tried to watch the figure recede in my side mirror. All I had to do was get somewhere populated, maybe the airport, and then you can't run from him. He has to kill. It's been too long, and if I don't let him, well... Just because I can't hurt myself doesn't mean he can't make me suffer. He showed me enough in the hour before I ordered a car to convince me of that. I... I'm sorry, but you should just stop and let it happen. I gripped the wheel tighter as I barely made a turn. Thank God this part of the city was dead at night. This has to be a trick, or you're in it now. You can see him. You know it's not a trick. I really am sorry, but I didn't have a choice. It's out of my hands. She was right. And worse, every time I looked in the mirror, no matter how far we went, I could usually catch a glimpse of him close behind, standing somewhere and staring as though he was just waiting for us to get tired and stop. Then something occurred to me. What about other people? What? You said you can't hurt yourself, but can other people hurt you? I don't know what you... Let's find out. Stomping the gas as far as it would go, I kept straight at the next turn. It was a brick security wall, but my hope was that the seatbelt and airbags would be enough to... When I woke up, the air smelled burnt and stale, and everything seemed to shimmer as I pushed back on the airbag and shoved my door open. Looking into the back seat, I could make Carolyn out enough to see that she had a fresh gash near her ear, but I wasn't sure I wanted to reach in and check for a pulse. A line of blood began to drip into my eye from a cut on my forehead. Better I just get away from here and then call 911. Maybe by then I'd be safe. That thing would be gone, or... He was across the street staring at me. Oh, shit. I took off running, and when I looked back, I saw it was chasing me, knives out again, as it charged down the street after me. Fear and survival instinct flooded my brain, pushing out all my questions and doubts. I had to get away. I had to hide, then call for help. Patting my pockets as I ran, I realized I left my phone in the fucking car. This... I'd hide then. Or, if I couldn't find a place to hide, I'd try to circle back around and get to my phone if I didn't find another person to help me first. The man kept pace with me for the next two blocks, and by the second left turn, my sides were already burning. I had no doubt that he could run me down if he wanted. 
He was enjoying the chase, playing with me. And I had to do something different before he got tired of it. Pushing myself harder, I rounded the last turn and saw my smoking car in the distance. I looked back a last time. He was still there, but he had let me get a bit farther ahead. Maybe it would buy me a few seconds, but not enough time to make a call and get help. I needed to find some other. I saw the rear door open as Carolyn stepped out of the car and looked around. She seemed shaken up but was fairly steady on her feet as she looked my way and then began walking quickly in the opposite direction. I shifted my focus from the car to her and despite her attempts to speed up, the wreck had taken too much out of her. I caught up and when I grabbed her from behind, she was only able to fight back a moment before we both fell to the ground. I wanted to threaten her, get her to call it off or at least apologize for what I was going to try. Maybe it wouldn't work anyway, but it was the only thing I could think of, and oh shit, he was running towards us, and I rolled on top of Carolyn and grabbed her head, ignoring her fist as they hammered into my ribs. Bending down, I pressed my split forehead against the trickling wound below her temple. My eyes were squeezed tight as I screamed with all my fear and anger out into the night, BRING OUT THE LONG KNIVES! I heard the heavy sounds of boots on the asphalt next to us, and when I rolled off the woman, I was staring up at the thing's face. It wasn't a man. Nothing like a person at all when you saw it this close. What was it? Oh, God, what was it? And why did it keep staring at me? His eyes shifted, moving to the gasping woman that was trying to catch her breath as she crawled away on her back. You... You stay away from me. You said you wouldn't hurt me, remember? It followed her. When she reached the sidewalk, she gave up, pleading with the monster, and looked back at me. Please... Tell it to take someone else. I sat up as I forced myself to meet her gaze. I'm sorry. It's out of my hands. As I turned away, I heard the long knives begin to do their work. Hey everyone. I hope you enjoyed tonight's story. If you did, be sure to let me know with a like on this video and tell me down below um, if you've ever experienced something similar to the first story. I would say the second story, but that one's a little more rooted in fiction than I think the first story was. Um, the first story, out of these two, I think the second one was scarier in a monster sense, but the first one was definitely scarier in a a real life sense, obviously, you know, it's, it's such a terrifying thought that at any moment, someone could just break in a window or knock through your door or, you know, whatever. My, um, uncle, they, he's had his house broken into twice, I think. Luckily, uh, he wasn't there either time when it happened. So, um, you know, we don't have to, didn't have to worry about, anything happening to him, but 
with a story so rooted in reality, which is rare for stories from no sleep. It was, it was kind of hard to read, you know, sitting in my house, not alone, but away from everyone else in the house. It was definitely a scary story to read, but I really enjoyed both of these. Let me know which one you enjoyed more, uh, which one was your favorite out of the two. I would love to hear your thoughts. And if you've ever experienced something like that, either real or paranormal while home alone, let me know in the comment section below as well. I would love to read some stories from you guys at the end of videos. Maybe we can do that. Anyway, I'll shut up now so you guys can go about your day. Uh, thank you for listening. Take care and sleep well.